0: Welcome to the silly little thing called the Marshall Pro Podcast and your week in IndyCar listener Q&A episode coming out of, oh yeah, another boring IndyCar race. Nothing ever happens in these things, right? Totally normal. Bunch of races, bunch of laps, just pure boredom. Ah, uh, I'm tapping out, y'all. <laughs> I don't know if I have any more adrenaline to expend Watching IndyCar races, analyzing IndyCar races, uh, strategizing whatever happened. Uh, Again, it's the best complaint, and it's not really a complaint. Y'all know that I love this. But uh, (laughs) uh, they can't all be Indy Road Course round twos, can they? But even then, we had Pelot's motor blow up and a couple other things happen. But uh, all right, so guess what? Uh, Y'all sent in a heck of a bunch of questions, which is great. Apologies up front to those that I don't get to. A little bit of a a retro throwback thing. For those who are relatively new listeners, you might not know. But before our current man, fine man, Jim Kaiser, started putting together the weekly Q&A list, both for the listener side and then also the, uh, the guest side, a fine, fine person known as Tim Falkowitz did it. Handed off the baton to Jim at the beginning of the year. Jim, family, a little bit of uh, something they got to focus on at home right now. And so sent a note late last week that, hey, uh, need to step back for a week, maybe two. But guess who's going to come back in? Ah, look at that. The all-star himself, Tim Falkowitz, kind enough to uh, to jump back in and help on a, uh, on a, on a moment's notice. So love Jim can't wait for things to get back to uh normal for him and the family, but nonetheless, also so stoked to have the good man. That is Tim Falkowitz putting together a great list for us here. Uh, boy, I don't know how many total questions we have, but we're well over 4,000 words worth of questions. So we'll try and do about an hour, hour and a half And if we need to go in overtime, we will. But otherwise, there you go. Not a ton to mention up front. So I guess that's good. Continuing to have positive things develop on the home front here. Next week, we're going to be jumping back into the hardcore chemo regimen. I mean, we've been doing chemo for years, so that's not the thing. But getting back into the... Got a new uh, new fight to win, which takes uh, definitely a couple ratcheting ups, shifting up a couple gears, whatever you want to call it. Uh, this is requiring more time, more effort, more commitment, and it's hard, y'all. For those who don't know, none of this stuff is, like, truly easy, but this is where the hard stuff truly comes back into play. So apologies in advance. If any uh, podcast recordings or whatever else slip on the schedule a little bit uh, from next week on, but we'll get it figured out. We'll get into a bit of a groove at some point in time, hopefully before too long. And then deepest, deepest aspirations is for things to be back on schedule. Beyond that, a couple of quick, cool things to mention here. Thanks to everyone who has uh, helped Robin Miller, our man Miller, in his St. Jude's fundraising efforts, I believe we're now up over $11,000. I have to do a short little update. Not a lot of new uh, sticker purchases. Slash, That money's going straight to St. Jude's. Stuff has happened in the last couple of days. But at last look, we are at $10,940. And a couple more uh, orders have come in. So I think we're right around 11000 And that just makes me really, really happy for our man, Miller so beyond that uh hey <laughs> plenty of silly season stuff going on uh, I'm gonna hopefully get something written here an update in the next couple of days what else uh, there's more there's always more in a season where there's always more and it's quadruple extra it's absolutely more so more to come let's get rolling though with a little bit of music bed I feel like I'm forgetting. Many, many things, but that's okay. Nothing absolutely new there. Um, Feel like we have something pretty cool going with uh, what you all bring to us each week with your questions, with your Q's and your A's and everything that comes in here brought to us by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. Where are we going? Where are we launching this little... Dumpster fire of a, of a race, kind of sort of race. Well, Eric Franklin, Jamie Carr, you two uh, crack the door open here. Talking about bumper cars at Gateway. Eric says, did the IndyCar guys spend time in the NASCAR garages last week and decide the bumper cars, hey, they look like fun. Some egregious driving mistakes, but I still wouldn't support this becoming an F1 style, quote, over-officiated series. Uh, Eric says, your thoughts, Marshall, is more needed in terms of officiating. Uh, Jamie Carr, uh, kind man, says, best you, your wife, and the cats. My question or observation is a little nuanced. Does the fact that there are fewer ovals in the schedule uh, provide an excuse or an explanation for the chaos? And like Eric wonders, is there more officiating needed? Hmm. So... I laid into Renus VK fairly hard in my race report, uh, and then laid in hard yet again in my rewind or cooldown lap column, which I don't know if you will have read that by the time you're listening to this, but I'm due to speak with IndyCar president Jay Fry this Tuesday morning, catch up on a lot of topics. Uh, hopefully that'll lead to some interesting content for y'all to read on racer.com. One of them, the the last item of the many items on the uh, questions list for Jay is thoughts on Renus VK. Is a penalty warranted? And so I'm a little on the fence with that one. I'm I'm wondering if a message needs to be sent as to. What kind of thought process takes place with drivers of any kind? Renus's age is completely immaterial here. If you are competing with drivers late in the season who are locked in a championship battle, you have now. Granted, there are five dri- There are more than five drivers who are mathematically eligible who could possibly win the championship. But just in terms of reality, really, it's the top five. Even more real, it's the top four. Marcus Erickson in fifth could still win the championship. Not saying he can't or won't, but he's the one of the top five. He's got a uh, significant distance to travel to get there. Whereas the top four of Pillow, now it's award-leading, but Pillow, Award, Dixon, and New garden that's really where things get most, most interesting. So knowing all that, knowing that we have a situation here where Renus, trying to do good things, trying to run up front, trying to, again, make the most out of his event, knowing that he got tripped up and caused a big, dumb crash that took out two of those four most likely to contend for the title types, does a message need to be sent? Does something need to transpire with IndyCar leveling some form of penalty for VK? And would that message, would that penalty, I don't know what it is. Is it points? Is it starting position at the next race? Is Again, I don't know. Is that needed? Is that necessary? Based on his reaction, the I don't see myself as having very much blame or whatever his specific quote was, that's what leads me to wonder if IndyCar does need to send a message. I am aware that he is fully, fully invested in the belief that I'm not the guy, man. I'm not the one. You want to hang this on people? Eh, There are people in front of me checking up. I don't want to rehash what I wrote, blah, 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 over and over. But I think that's a little bit of a wild assertion to make, that there was anyone else other than himself 100% responsible for this. I just found the exact quote. Um, I feel very sorry for everyone. But I think I cannot really give myself a lot of blame for this. When you're the only person (laughs) saying you're not at fault for something that's really clear uh, as being yours, that's where I begin to wonder if a penalty is needed. If he had just come out and said, look, man, I totally screwed up. I know that I ruined your races. I know that I have through my mistake significantly altered the championship standings tack on that. Hey, he was looking primed for a top 10 run or finish, uh, and took himself out along with the others, paid a price, expensive crash, uh, expensive in terms of how it's affected his season. Like if he'd just come out and said what I just mentioned, owned it, I don't know if I'd have any thoughts about is a penalty warranted. The fact that he hasn't and seems to be steadfast now, 48 plus hours later, then nope, wasn't me. Um, That's where I wonder if IndyCar needs to intervene a little bit and go, eh, hey, <laughs> let's, let's go ahead and make it clear. So that's probably the lead topic on Officiating, over-officiating, he crashed. There's not much you can do completing the race to change anything from an officiating standpoint Um, other than ask the police to throw him out of the facility. uh, I don't know what else you do. The Ed Jones, Graham Rahal thing, I know that there's, I believe, a question or two coming Um, in a little bit about that, um, I'll get to that in a moment, but that's another one where I don't know if that's a 50, 50, if that's a 60, 40%. Um, is there some sort of post event penalty? I think that's needed for either. I don't. Uh, I just think it's something where unfortunate, uh, was unnecessary, but I don't think that any kind of points, money, starting position, if we were to go back to Gateway tomorrow, Worldwide Technologies Raceway, I don't see that accident happening again. With Renis and his reaction, I'm a little, there's a mild, mild level of concern that he hasn't gotten it. And so if there's a value to penalizing somebody after a crash, it's the, this is our last hope for you to get it. <laughs> we don't ever want to see this again. And since you're not owning it, this is the last measure we can think of to get you there. Our harsh decision, whatever it is that you're not going to like. That's how we hopefully walk you to this realization and make sure Faced with the same thing next year, whenever. I mean, the kid's probably going to be vying for a championship within the next year or two or whatever, right? Um, just want to make sure. Never crosses your mind again. And if there's anyone else in the field that was thinking, yeah, that wasn't his fault, guess what? <laughs> We've hopefully just cured that thing inside you as well. Um. If there was a surprise for me in terms of officiating or lack of officiating, I was a bit surprised that, to my knowledge, there was nothing that came from New Garden uh, driving down on Pagino in turn one as they were running through the first half of the track early in the race. Pagino trying to take the position off Joseph. as I seem to recall from the in-car being about as low as you can go without getting into the grass and Joseph just moving down, driving over and breaking his right front wing. That didn't strike me as a racing accident. Um, That struck me as highly aggressive, highly dismissive and something. If we're talking about accident responsibility, there was no quote crash. But there was a caution that followed as a result of the debris flying off of his car. That debris hit, what, one or two drivers, I think? Luckily, thank you again for the aero screen being what it is. It just, I'm not someone who's real ticky-tack, penalize everything. I say that quite often on the show. But I think when you pull down on your teammate, break their front wing in half force them to the pits, create a caution. Simon ended up driving like a madman to get back to, what, eighth? So massive respect for his fight back. But that one struck me as a, hmm, wonder if this is a swallow the whistle race. (laughs) If, granted, there's only a couple of drivers who saw that happen as it happened. It might have only been the two of them. I don't even know if Joseph knew that he did it. Again, I haven't had a chance to speak with him. But it's not like all the other drivers saw it. And then everyone said, oh, okay, well, that's now a go. That's green light. Go get them. Drive all over people. Right? I mean, that doesn't happen. But again, you have to wonder. Like, hey, all right. If in most games where there are referees, and I'm trying to think, are there any games without referees? That might have been a really stupid statement I just made. Uh, you do have replays. You do have Strategists on timing stands and engineers who are watching and seeing that footage. You might have spotters uh, overhead who, granted, probably don't have a big TV, but might have the race playing on their phone or something like that and can see the replays. And, again, you see in most, if not every series where officials are involved, the players tend to adjust to the officiating, uh, whether it's boxing, whether it is basketball, whether it's whatever, And if they're swallowing the whistle, guess what? It's more elbows, more knees and shins, more you name it stuff where you go, wow, it's getting a little rough, but they're letting us do it compared to, oh, you just looked at the other guy wrong. Boom, penalty, drive through. Um, If you think of all those who would watch that, see it, and then gauge how the officials are or are not reacting, you could see how some might encourage their drivers to be a little more aggressive, a little more rough, less complimentary. On a road and street course, eh, it's not so much a thing. And of course, you don't want to drive like a jerk and jeopardize the, the health and lives of others. I'm just saying on ovals, those are the one form of tracks we go to, of track we go to each year, where there is a yeah, I want to beat the heck out of you, but we got to all get along and get through this safely. So let's not get hyper-aggressive and drive over one another and break things off of each other's cars and send those parts flying back to hit others. And like, let's. And so when you get the vibe, possibly that, hey, we're supposed to take care of each other, but the refs aren't really going to police that, maybe you get something that's a little bit more aggressive than is healthy so again i don't know if that uh, new garden and pagino exchange had anything to do with anything i don't know if some of the other crashes had anything to do with anything but the real problem here and it is a problem is indycar can sit down all of the drivers when we get to portland and say hi 27 28 of you whatever uh even some of you who haven't been in the series racing recently, or we haven't seen you for a little while or whatever. Uh, Pardon my French. It's earmuffs moment here. It's been a shit show for a little while now, more than it should be. So yeah, down to three races starting here at Portland, a massively wide front straight, huge braking zone from crazy high speed funnels hard right into a you could almost run through it faster uh chicane basically it's been a place in the past where on the start or restarts y'all have just turned into bumper cars and we let's just spin everything and everybody let's blow through the chicane and send styrofoam blocks or whatever flying through the air. Hell, let's crash on the other side of the chicane, too. Like, look, too much. Stop it, everyone. You can have that conversation. You can yell. You can threaten. You can do all kinds of stuff. Of course, I hope that the thing I believe will not happen ends up happening at Portland. Turn one, lap one, and all the subsequent restarts that we expect to happen everyone minds their everything gives each other ample space snakes through that little slow thing and off they go no spins no contact no yellows i truly hope that happens there's a little side of me as a reporter where the drama is kind of fun to write about but still for the sake of purity for the championship to play out naturally based on speed and excellence or failure Right, and failure could be missing a tenth of a second per lap. Your race engineer, your damper person, your whomever did a lesser job than another team's, and hey, you finished fourth instead of second, and now, boy, you're really in a rough spot. Whatever those things are, hey, Pato, you're on pole, drove away, destroyed everybody, and man, you got a death grip on the championship. Hello your inner gorilla came out and you did that or new garden or dicks like i want to see this play out in a pure manner but this is the thing eric and jamie and all of those who love indycar and have been wondering is this getting is this kind of falling off the rails recently starting i should say starting at nashville we've had more of this but just all right these are the two low water marks IndyCar, Jay Fry, Kyle Novak, Arline Dyke, any everybody else. Jay Fry. Roger Penske can stand up in front of everybody, call everybody seven kinds of a son of a bitch and say, if you make any mistakes, you're permanently banned from IndyCar. Do you think that's going to lead every, every single driver, 27, 28, whatever it is, firing down into turn one? No one's going to make a mistake? No one's going to think a lane magically opened at the last minute and I'm going to go right down and boom, I just became the golden bowling ball. Like, I hope we miss all that stuff. But the takeaway here is there's no drivers' meeting, there's no threat, there's no anything that can be done to stop drivers from making mistakes or believing they see a lane that's open or overestimating how fast to go on a restart and biffing the guy that's leading the championship and who then takes out his teammate who is holding third in the championship. Like, there's no level of officiating here that stops bad behavior or mistakes. And that's why, dear listeners, dear fellow lovers of IndyCar... I'm going to be crossing fingers and I'm going to be crossing everything and saying the Lord's prayer. And I'm probably going to try and pick up a couple of other prayer related things to say from a variety of other religions. Um, hoping that we get through turn one, lap one at Portland clean. And then however many other restarts we do the same, because if not Jim Kaiser is going to be quitting, that's the thing. That's the impassioned plea. Dear IndyCar drivers. don't make Jim Kaiser uh, quit, okay? He, there's only so many questions per week he can handle. Thank goodness for Tim Falkowitz stepping in this week to help, but that's the message, and if they don't adhere to it, then I've got a problem. We've got a problem. I need to go bop some people on the head. Does that sound like an answer? Probably not, but hey. All right, we're going to go to Jeremiah Morrell. And we're going to come back to Ed Joris here on the topic of penalties in a moment. Uh, Jeremiah says, uh, Renis isn't getting any Christmas cards from the Ganassi bunch. Does the Paddock accept the answer that everyone checked up ahead and he did nothing wrong? Seems like uh, seems to me at this stage of the season, you start to tread carefully around title contenders. And if you take out two of them in a corner, you accept a bit more responsibility. Yeah. I don't want to dive too deeply into this. Um I can just tell you that I'm aware that as of the time of this recording, I don't believe any actual person-to-person, face-to-face, FaceTime-to-Facetime, or phone-to-phone conversations have taken place to mend fences, let water smoothly flow beneath the bridge, and for a kumbaya everything's good moment to happen. So, as I wrote in my little cooldown column thing here, yes, the crash itself pissed off the Ganassi team. You would expect it of any team that had two title contenders wiped out. So, not specific to the Ganassi people. Oh, they're mad. No, anybody would be mad. That's normal. These things happen. They They happen, they happen, they happen. So, that isn't rare. Where this just becomes a problem is... I really do hope Renus, even if he doesn't believe it, uh, takes full responsibility with the team. Hey, calling to apologize 100% on me. Sorry I said whatever that looked like it wasn't me and I don't think, whatever. Hey, just want to put this to rest. That's a good thing. Not into conspiracy theories and all that stuff, but I will share with you some realities. So, hey, there are some multi-car teams in the series. On your average race weekend, not all of those cars are running up front. Some of them are lapped lap down or running towards the back or have some difficulty or whatever it is. It's not uncommon for a multi-car team to have at least one player kind of out of real contention. Boy, that car can be useful if you need it to be. Uh, retribution and payback can come in a lot of ways. And it might not come in the, the race the, immediately, the race that immediately follows where a team feels like they've been wronged and the air has not been cleared by someone at another team. I'm not suggesting the Chip Ganassi team would do anything negative or untowardly uh, in relation to Renus VK. But I can tell you just from past examples, having seen it, not saying it was at the IndyCar level, but having been on multi-car teams where you go, oh, Okay, well, hey, Uh, hmm, we see that you're doing quite well today, and we have a car in our stable that's on track that could complicate yours. You know what? There's bad blood here. You know what? Your day is about to be not great. Again, I am not saying that would happen here, but I'm saying that in motor racing, boy, I mean, how's this? What were we just complaining about a week ago? Hey, Willpower is leading. Colton Hurt is chasing him. In front of Willpower is Colton's teammate, James Hinchcliffe. There's no bad blood between any of them. They're all good. But Hinch isn't moving aside. Hinch is certainly not doing anything bad, but certainly isn't just pulling over to help will and therefore disadvantage his teammate we're just talking about a scenario of a team with a car that wasn't really contending for anything and how that ended up will still went on to win but had his lead cut way the heck down we saw how that could play out when all is good (laughs) imagine if things weren't good imagine if power had done something that just pissed off the Andretti team to no end, and they felt that it was unfinished business, you can see how things can negatively affect others, even when they're all super happy buddies. So imagine if there's not super happy buddy scenario. Uh, it's those kind of things where you got to think, yeah, all right, maybe maybe I should just call and clear the air. Um, there are other aspects to this as well. I've seen it happen on teams that I've worked on. Uh, I've we're anyways. I don't think I need to go too much farther down the road here. But this is the big picture stuff you got to think about. The hey, if you ever want to drive for Ganassi, man, they got long memories. There are some teams that don't. They do. They've been around a long time. They've seen a long time. The people that have driven for them, the people that have been bounced out of there, like you know, this is a storied team. Uh, Scott Dixon's not going to drive forever. That car is going to need someone new in it in the next 20 to 30 years. (laughs) Um, who knows how long Jimmy Johnson's going to continue after his two-year contract? Will the 48, whatever number it might be, stay on track? Will there be a fourth car that needs someone in it? Who knows? I'm just saying, big picture. What war are you fighting? And what value does it hold to you to win that at all costs? If believing that you're right, everyone else is wrong, I'm the only one who sees this the correct way, it's a little concerning, but okay, fully and you're right. Just think about some of the other possibilities. Hey, man, all of a sudden, there might be some folks to not come up on on track when you're having a good day, and maybe they aren't. And it might not, again, it could be any team. If there's any driver, and I know that there are some, and I say that from direct knowledge, who are like, whoa, uh, you're living in a different world than us, and I, okay, uh, I got to be real careful around you. Um, Hey, I'd like to drive for you. Is there a click? Hello? 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 (laughs) Just saying. Uh, I hope everyone's happy and holding hands that has moved past this when we get to Portland, because if not, there's nothing positive that would come from it. Uh, let's go to Ed Jores talking about the, uh, the type of treatment this receives or should receive. He said, I'm tired of the reasoning that, Hey, the driver who crashed, well, their race is over and that's penalty enough uh, for incidents like VKs. So sometimes it isn't enough. And this is the classic example um, goes on to mention a lot of things we've already covered. Um, But the point he gets to is uh, IndyCar needs to open punishment for avoidable contact up to things like grid drops, loss of entrant points uh, to be handed out at their discretion. What are your thoughts? I wonder. I wonder if there needs to be a separate little panel, right? And I realize that these things happen on a somewhat rare occasion where it's so like, dude, what did you do? What are you thinking? So on and so forth. I just wonder, like, hey, to Ed's point, kid crashed, took out a couple others. Their races were over. There's nothing else to do Saturday night in Madison, Illinois. But do you have a panel? Not of the regular stewards, who maybe in the motion of going through these things quickly and getting through them, but actual like, hey, here's three. Here's three drivers, uh, veterans, champions, Indy 500 winners, something, where you go, yeah, those are some real names. Though, Hey, yeah, those are some real, real people who we've asked to come together in a way should something be levied beyond what happened. Um, I think there's some value there, Ed. Do I know exactly what the penalty should be? Again, is it grid position? Is it money? Is it loss of entrant points, as you mentioned? I don't know. But I do think that, as we've already discussed about, was Gateway a swallow the whistle race? I kind of think it was. Um, I'd rather say, you know what? We got our little tribunal here. We've got the people where you go, yep. Those are impeccable names, and they have weighed the weighed not only the crash but the reaction afterwards. And they've come back and said, "No action necessary." Or, "Hey kid, hey her, hey he, hey veteran, hey whomever, you got uh, you got some unfinished things you need to pay for here at the next race." I wonder if that's the best direction to go, Ed. I think it is because I just suggested it, but. Uh do I think it would happen? I don't know. Um I am going to do a little thing here and pull up my list of questions for Jay Fry and add um crash tribunal. And I just Hey I didn't misspell it. I'm so happy. Uh Ed Joris is back again. Just curious if he'll be uh subject to a, a grid penalty. Coming off of Saturday's crash, uh, said if he does need a new engine, again, um, at IndyCar's discretion, they could feed him another penalty. Uh, Says it would seem incredibly harsh uh, because of the damage incurred in a crash. Don't know. Uh, I haven't taken the time to reach out and find out from Honda Performance Development if a replacement motor will indeed be needed Oh boy, if it does, that's just going to be uh really sad. Um I would have to hope if we're talking discretion, if by chance he needs a fresh motor, IndyCar would deem Yeah, uh you paid your your many positions uh under the lights during uh the well the sixty four laps you managed of the two hundred sixty. So uh yeah. I would hope not, Ed. That would just be truly, truly cruel uh, and unusual. And I believe there's something in the rule book that says uh, no cruel or unusual punishment. All right, it doesn't, but I, I believe it should be there. Uh, we're going to go to Mark Leonard, who says, finishing the topic here Do you think they might need, that being IndyCar, to review the engine penalty rules uh, if Pelot doesn't win the championship? says uh, two of the five contenders have had six or nine place penalties through no fault of their own and had their weekends compromised in consequence. I don't, Mark, think they would need to revise it or review it as a result of how it has affected Polo. Joseph Newgarden's also lost positions. We may have more who end up losing positions. Uh, But I don't think how the championship plays out should be the trigger point for a review and possible change. I think the fact that it's just a really damn stupid way of penalizing people should be the pivot point away from it. That's the thing about this rule. It has gone back and forth. It has been drivers get grid penalties for unapproved engine changes. It's also been manufacturers lose points and or can no longer count uh, those engines if they go beyond the approved number in the lease towards the Manufacturers' Championship. Um, it's been, there's always been a penalty, but it is vacillated between drivers, get it, well, okay, well, they usually rarely if ever at fault, so it should hurt the manufacturers who have, failed the reliability test, gone back to drivers now. I mean, all these things end up hurting the manufacturers as well. Little, again, sidebar here, and I am haven't looked at the latest manufacturer report to see if it's more that what's coming to mind, but when you go beyond the four approved engines in an annual lease, not only is there that grid penalty for each engine beyond the fourth, but those entries stop being able or are no longer allowed to earn points for the manufacturers in the Manufacturers' Championship. I think a lot of you may know that. If not, uh, now you do. But where that holds meaning is well, uh, of the from two of the drivers in the top four, that being Pillow and Newgarden, um, those two are not earning points for chevy or honda and you know it's one thing to say hey the person running in 19th place in the championship can no longer earn points because they're on engine five or six you go got it great thanks yeah they really weren't earning any points to begin with when you take two big pieces off the board like polo for honda new garden for chevy again that hurts it definitely hurts also monkeying with the drivers championship. You know, I mean Alex started what? Had a not great qualifying started or qualified twelfth, started twenty-first because of the nine position penalty. We know at what the previous race, or the one before, you know, he, he certainly uh has had to make up some ground. Joseph has had to make up some ground as well. Uh not impossible, but my my overarching thought here is this. If you want to penalize people, okay, I get it. Chevy and Honda manufacture amazing engines, truly amazing engines, that put out high power, not the highest power we've ever seen in any car, but high power nonetheless for extreme lengths of time, high, high mileage, right? They're both really and truly doing their best. Uh, there's no shortcomings. There's no, oh, we're just going to push it beyond the limit and we're going to go nuts. And hey, maybe we pop a bunch of motors, but eh, whatever. Like that's not how they operate. So when you have a failure or multiple failures, what you get is big surprise from them. Like, huh? Not anticipated, not expected, And again, I'm just telling you the truth. There's nothing that either company is doing to intentionally have any of their motors blow up, much less two of their biggest contenders in the championship. So uh, it's just worth understanding that there's no kind of trickery and pushing of boundaries and, well, we got caught and it, it went kerblamo. Need a little bit of coffee to wet my whistle. So I mention all that for one reason, and it's this. If we know that Chevrolet through Ilmore Engineering, Honda Performance Development through itself, are not intentionally stressing things beyond reasonable levels and therefore things are blowing up kind of because of their direct effort or intent. If we know that there's randomness to this, even a fresh motor can blow. High mileage motors certainly easier for them to blow as parts become more stress, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But if there's a, a need with an IndyCar to penalize the manufacturers, I understand that, even though we know we can tr- trust them when it comes to the quality of their builds and how they run the motors. Drivers, it's been a while, right? been a long while i, I over rev the motor that used to be the thing back when we had stick shifts <laughs> when you could miss a shift buzz the motor like crazy and have a bunch of things bend and break internally you go yep you did it <laughs> all you 100 percent." so if we're going back to stick shifts penalize the drivers if they blow motors because they certainly could do it right now yeah not so much so that's where this doesn't make a lot of sense last little bit here to mention is part of this of what indycar has been doing and is wanting to manage slash deter it's hey we're getting to the end of the year hey we happen to be there right now hey we're in a tight manufacturers fight and as a result, we're in a tight manufacturer's fight because we have some drivers who are doing quite well in the championship right It's not like oh, the top tens all Honda drivers or the top tens all Chevy drivers in the standings and right no it's super <laughs> it's super mixed right now. what do we have it's chevy Honda Chevy Honda Honda I believe um what they're trying to prevent through a lot of this and it's maybe a little bit overreaching uh if we're we're really looking at how it affects the entire season um they're trying to prevent manufacturers from throwing fresh motors at their leading cars once we get down to the final bits of the season hey your motor is probably high mileage we don't expect it to explode at Portland or Laguna Seca or Long Beach, but as it gets higher in its mileage, possibility grows. So going into Portland, new motors for all of our main contenders. Realize that might trigger a six-spot grid penalty. Realize there's some negative effects there in the Manufacturer's Championship, but what's worse? having to overcome six positions or potentially blowing up and finishing P26 and losing crazy amounts of points. Keep in mind, again, no disrespect to the drivers who aren't championship contenders, but we're not talking about trying to fill the cars from 12th or 10th on down to 28th or whatever with new motors. We're talking about a handful who are in the fight or maybe... Also, the ones who aren't necessarily in the championship fight, but can win races, can be front runners, can take points off of uh, whichever side of the, the engine war happens to be. So, again, it's a limited number. It's three, four, five, maybe six drivers. Who knows? That's what's happened in the past. And especially when the grid penalties were not part of the deal. Manufacturers taking the hit and taking the hit only. In points. You go, well, huh, there's truly no reason to do anything other than say, hey, we're getting down to the last couple. Fresh motor, fresh motor, fresh motor. Because, yeah, all right. It's going to complicate the manufacturers' championship a little bit. But uh, boy, whether we win that or not, we can certainly celebrate that our driver, hopefully, or drivers, were the kings of the season. That's what people remember. Now, with the grid penalties in place, I think that's going to cause manufacturers to think a little bit more about all right do we dispatch six new motors we dispatch three who from a strategery standpoint would be most advantageous for us if our driver is leading the championship do we saddle them with a six spot penalty at wherever or you know again uh, let's play this let's play this a little safe Laguna Seca, for example, if you remember the last race, well, granted, whoa, so the first race back, but the last race that we had in 2019, were there any passes? I don't remember. I was there. I don't remember. I know Colton Hurt was on pole and ran away and hid. I'm sure there were a couple of passes here, there, but love my home track. I love a little bit less than Sonoma. Love my home track, but man, it is certainly not a place known for passing. So that's not a place I'd want six grid penalties to overcome. You might be finishing pretty darn close to wherever you start at Laguna. Uh, Portland, Uh, you know, you can work there. Uh, It's not so much of a track position race uh, as Laguna. Long Beach, you can certainly pass there. Uh, Not saying it's super easy, but not totally uh, unexpected. If someone were to start with a six-spot penalty there, provided they're in the top 10, right, qualify somewhere in the first four positions. I don't know if I'm super scared, but bottom line, this is something to revisit for sure. Uh, I will be asking Jay Fry about it when we speak, and yeah. Uh, What about this? Hey, if you want to change a motor and you're not at the... Minimum mileage. Granted, they let you kind of make it up now, right? Uh, it's four motors, ten thousand miles. There's nothing saying all four have to go twenty five hundred miles. You could go a little short on one, a little long on the other. Although most don't want to go long, but right, there's a little bit of flexibility here. I think something different was said on the broadcast uh, at at Gateway, but again, uh, that's you know, four motors, ten thousand miles, kind of up to the manufacturer to decide how many miles before something gets yanked. But you know, I wonder if the desire to curb this late season, uh, fresh, fresh, fresh motor really betraying the concept of this lease in the four motors that are supposed to, you know, total 10,000 miles worth of mileage. I wonder if you tack on a financial to it. If the thing does not have a hole in the side of the block, uh, if, Valves were not just swallowed or or pounded into the head permanently, if some sort of kerblamo did not happen and you, you know, again you aren't within a reasonable number of of getting to that mileage that total mileage number if you want to change a motor and still try and do that to give your contenders the best shot late in the season I'd say put a real number on it put, is it a hundred grand? Is it 200? I don't know. Is it 250? Like, look, six position penalty or manufacturer points lost. Like, eh, that's nothing. So if you really want to do this, since this is the one thing we're trying to control and prevent, make it a financial option. Do I think Chevy or Honda would intentionally fork out? 100 grand, 150, whatever. And I'm not talking about Anybody can send in the money, you know. If the team has a super wealthy sponsor, it's like, hey, we'll pay for it. No, 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 no. If you're gonna do this and you're trying to control your manufacturers, put it on them. I need a cashier's check. <laughs> I need something on company letterhead. I need it now. I need to. I need this direct deposit. Now look, can they get to? Could somebody have given the manufacturer some money to then again? To cover it, I don't, I'm not going to get into all that. But I'm just saying, let's have it be above board then. You want to do this? Woo! You want to do it this for two or three drivers? It's going to be a huge number for you to hit. Therefore, I don't think you will. If it's blown up, of course you're going to have to do it. Other than that, let's remove the elective side of it with a really crazy number, uh, penalty to pay. And what do you do with that money? I don't know. Uh, Do you fund an extra Race for Equality and Change USF 2000 entry? Do you fund an academy for women racers? Do you give it to St. Jude's Charity or name something? I don't know. But if you're going to penalize and you're going to curb behavior, maybe you put a real dollar number on it, and then you do good things with it. So at least everyone feels bad. Better about it i don't know if anyone's super happy but at least something all right neil doiker is that how i pronounce your last name doiker Dweaker, uh dewey kerr i don't know i should have asked you but i didn't because i'm not very good at my job neil but you know this uh he says first time questioner there's lots of prayers for you and your wife thank you neil uh, appreciate the uh, that where this all started earlier today via direct message i uh, says um, and shout out to your management team, your cats, uh, says question, who do you pin the fault on in the Ed Jones and Graham Ray Hall wreck? Both cars seem pretty high on the track at the time. Jimmy Vassar's face said it all. At what point would he consider testing new drivers in the seal master car for the remaining races? Oh boy. I would say knowing how Jimmy and Sully and Dale Coyne in particular, the trio who enter the number 18 seal master Honda knowing how they operate. Consistency is very much, uh, how they do business during the season. I know that could be perceived as a little bit of a funny thing. If I don't didn't add that qualifier at the end, because inconsistency is kind of the Dale coin thing. Who's our drivers this year? I don't know. Spin the wheel of turn up at St. Pete and find out. Um, you know, I air quote, love the guy, appreciate the guy. He's, One of one left in IndyCar, really putting in his own money to participate. Uh, All the positives I've mentioned before. At the same time, the team is pretty much the leader in boom and bust because you almost never know who's driving from year to year. Can be totally random whether their fortunes rise or plummet. Um, And I'm speaking more of the last couple of years. I know that our beloved French fry, Sebastian Bourdais was there for a number of years and did some good, very good things. Won a number of races. Um, Romain grosjean has been amazing this year, but again, uh, who knows if he'll be there next year. I certainly do not expect Ed Jones to be in uh, the seal master car next year. Neil, uh, I think that's a little bit of a foregone conclusion. Fault. It's an interesting one. So Graham said, look how high he was off the apex off the bottom of the track where you'd want to be. A couple other drivers said the same thing. Was Ed moving up as Graham was driving down slightly? And again, I don't mean turning down on Ed, but just simply cornering as it was natural for him. It looked like a coming together of two people, wrong place, wrong time. Was there any need for the two of them to be that close? None whatsoever. Why was Ed that far off the bottom lane, preferred lane? I don't know. Um, It was pretty clear that the top lane, second lane, wasn't open because Graham was there trying to fill it. Uh, Ed, as he mentioned, was ahead of him um, for a fair portion of the brief time they were able to corner together before they done hit each other. (sighs) 50-50, 60-40, there was part of me that was like, Ed, brother, what are you doing there? Graham, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at it more times and in slow motion and be perfectly honest with y'all. With some of this stuff, knowing if we're talking a race where this was the main thing, I'd certainly be doing the whole Zapruder film treatment and watching it a thousand times over and over again and interviewing all parties and blah, blah, blah. Right. It wasn't, it was the first of many. And so since it wasn't even close to being the top thing coming out, I'm like, okay, saw it a couple times. Uh I'm curious if Graham could have gone any higher. Right. Uh, did he know that it seemed like Ed was coming up as he was just starting, t- was coming up the track, just as Graham was starting to turn a little bit harder to the left to continue cornering. I don't know. Um, These are the things that I don't know, and I'm okay with not knowing them because it was a dumb crash that makes no sense today, made no sense Saturday night. Uh, It did not help either. It didn't change Ed's season. Ed's season has, with the exception of one or two results, been dreadful. Graham? Yeah, actually... He was 6th in the standings. Longest shot to really be in the mix for the title, but at least, hey, 6th is good. You could build on that, maybe get up to 5th. Who knows, maybe 4th if things go really well. He's fallen to 8th, and granted, it's not like, oh my goodness, an 8th, it truly, just park it, buddy, your your season's 100% over. He's one point behind Pagano. what, like five points behind Herda in sixth? So he can get back to sixth. But he's the only person who really suffered in this. I know that they tried to get the car back out. Didn't really work out there so much. Uh, These are the things that you don't think about when you're driving, but we think about them externally. Hey, you got this cool new Iowa event where your main or the main sponsor High V is involved, and you are the High V sponsored entry this weekend with RLL. Uh, they didn't get a lot of a lot of track time out of that race. Uh, you were out almost before it started. Um, and again, this is not something a Graham would think about, or any other driver would think about. Hey, we have the local, or we have a sponsor, big sponsor involved. Um, I need to now drive differently. No, you just do what comes natural to you. It's One of those things in retrospect, you go, man, uh, I I feel bad for everybody. I feel bad for Seal Master. I feel bad for Ed, who 24th. Um, What was it, like two races ago? Nashville, I think he was like sixth or so, right? And I think he had like a ninth earlier in the year. Um, Detroit comes to mind. Those are the two shining spots. Pretty much everything else has been a, oh, when will this end for him and the team? So, yeah, where it would be out of norm would be to say, Ed, we don't need you to show up at the last three races. Now, uh, famous last words. I'm aware of a couple of drivers. They're interested in talking to you name it it's that time of year anyways uh even if ed was doing well in a sitting ninth tenth eleventh in the championship i'd still expect them to be speaking to others frankly i'd expect ed to be speaking to others so again there's no kind of betrayal going on here like but they're not there they're 20th in points um the only other driver that the 18 car is better than that has completed the entire season with the same driver is Dalton Kellett and big kudos to Dalton for having a great, great night at worldwide technologies raceway. But every driver after Ed and before Dalton is a part timer or someone who's missed a couple of races. Felix Rosenquist being one who's missed two rounds because of his crash and the crash and injury. So, right. Um, How's this? How bad has James Hinchcliffe's season been? That podium, that third at Nashville. I mean, it was like the Lord reaching down and just giving a big old (smack) on top of the head. That's the one bright spot he's had during a crushing year. Every other finish, every other finish outside of Nashville has been 14th place or worse. James Hinchcliffe is 14 points ahead of Ed Jones in the championship. And I realize Hinch is driving for Andretti, which is a bigger and more able and more resource team than Coin, but uh, let's also acknowledge the fact that Romain Groschamp, who has not done three races is holding 15th. So, hey, uh, can't use the team as an excuse because Romain, who's missed out earning points at three rounds, is ahead of Andretti's Ryan Hunter-Ray and James Hinchcliffe. So, there you go. Um, Just saying, I have deep appreciation for Ed Jones have rooted for him throughout his career once he came here in Indy Lights, all kinds of warm things to say about Ed as a person and as a driver. This just hasn't worked out. Romain Groschand, we know from a pedigree standpoint, much higher level, right? So although he's a rookie and although all the caveats we know, Doesn't know the tracks, doesn't know the car, doesn't know, doesn't know, doesn't know, doesn't know. It's like they're driving for two different teams. Can roll in here because it it needs to be continually said. It's been more than one mechanical problem this year with Ed's car. It's been more than one pit stop where you go, oh, come on, man. And by more than one, I'm being polite. There have been numerous things that's happened during Ed Jones' season in the number 18 Sealmaster Honda for Dale Coin Racing with Vassar Sullivan where you go, not Ed's fault. Don't, don't point the finger at him. Also been a few too many days where you go, I don't know if I can find the thing. I don't know if I can find the, the area to point the finger where you go, okay, man, you're 14th, you're 17th, you're something. And I'm struggling to see exactly where you look externally as the root cause. So whether it's been the team's fault, whether Ed has come up short in some area, whether whatever, it doesn't matter. It truly doesn't matter. The one thing that does matter, this is a team that has run well and run much higher race to race and in the championship that has sponsors who've been there for the good times and not saying it's bad times now, but the more distance between the, Hey, we were on a podium or Hey, the TV cameras had a real reason to follow us a lot at a race. The more time that passes between that time and the, Ooh, yeah, I haven't had a whiff of a podium and the cameras forgot we exist. Those are the things that make a team say, we're going to make a change. We love you. We think you're a future champion, just not with us. And again, lay out all the reasons could be 70% of the disappointment that has Ed and the 18 car holding 20th in the championship. You could say 70%, I'm just making up a number, 75% team's fault. Even so, even if it was 90%, I can't think of any team that would say we're going to continue this experiment next year. I mention every now and then, and I often prefer to move this out to another form of sport, if a team has 12 wins and 70 losses, And the players are garbage and they don't listen and they turn the ball over and miss all their shots. Talking about basketball. Um, Even if the vast majority of the problems are on the court by people just being inept, head coach gets changed out at the end of the year. And if, I mean, it's pretty much a guarantee. Dale Coyne's not firing himself, James Sully Sullivan's not firing himself. James Vassar Jr. not firing himself. Where else do you go? All right. Uh, Where do we move from here? Uh, Neil, thanks again for sending that in. Um, And don't be afraid to send me a note on how to not murder your last name. I am sorry. Um, Andrew Drybelbis, thanks for sending in something. It feels like, I think we kind of covered off your question about... How does the uh, series curb aggressive driving or foolish driving? I mean, I know we didn't like spend a lot of time looking at the specific ways, but yes, the uh, some sort of oversight with people who aren't full-time IndyCar people seems like that should be uh, something to consider. Uh, as for penalties and whatnot, again, um, to be determined if it were to ever happen. Let me take a quick little sip here. Brian Smith. Joe Izzo, <laughs> oh boy, I feel for uh, the folks mentioned here. Brian says, Is Alex Rossi just snake bit right now, or is there a real problem with him and the team? Uh, he's had a bad season, and then when it looks like he's back on form, he stuffs it in the wall in cold tires. Joe Izzo, you also mentioned, Should we be starting to get concerned about Rossi? Seems disconnected lately, a few races thrown away due to his faults. Um, and, and others maybe not so much. Uh, he also mentions, Joe says, seems like Rossi might be bothered, uh, by Herda is slowly becoming the de facto number one driver at Andretti Autosport. Well, let's go in reverse order. Uh, I would fix that last sentence, Joe. There's nothing slowly Herda is and has been not the de facto the Number one driver <laughs> uh, since he joined the team full time. Obviously, in 2019, as a rookie, as part of the Harding Steinbrenner Racing and Dreddy Autosport Alliance, Colton is sitting in on all the engineering meetings. You know, he's a full member of the team, just not driving directly from Michael Andretti. Um, if you look at the moment that he joined the team full time, uh, yeah. Quickly shot to number one. There's been no one even close to challenging him for that. Uh, Rossi, Ray, Marco, Hinch, etc. It has been the Colton Herta show. Period. Little sidebar here. I don't remember. Was it? I think was it after qualifying? Maybe Um, where Colton obviously did well, qualified second. Uh, There was a moment on camera where, again, I could be wrong with the session, but there was a moment on the NBC cameras where Rossi was coming by, maybe it was pre-race, who knows, and kind of, you know, I don't know, tapped him on the shoulder, dapped him up a little bit or something, some sort of, like, connective thing between teammates. i got to admit, I could be totally reading nothing into nothing. But Colton didn't, really didn't seem to react. Uh, there, It was just, a, again, subtleties. And I'm not trying to raise drama for no reason. I say this because, you know, I've kind of been involved in racing pretty much my whole life, worked for a lot of people. You get a feel for just behaviors and reactions and whatnot at the highest level, even on down to the lowest level. I did have a little mental note of like, ah, he's kind of, uh, kind of playing him a little cool here. Uh, kind of acknowledge, like, oh, hey, oh, hey, what's up? But not like, hey, my brother in Andretti Auto Sportage. Uh, it could be absolutely nothing. But it didn't seem like nothing to me. There seemed to be a little bit of hierarchy involved. Of like, oh, hey, man. Not like, oh, hey, man. Oh, yeah. Um, Colton is a quieter lower-energy replica of Pato Award, or spin that around the other way. Pato is a higher-energy, louder voice version of Colton Hurta, but they're the same person when it comes to racing and the spirit behind what they do. Very different human beings, but in terms of competitive spirit... Colton, like Pato, wants to eat, destroy, kill, and poop out (laughs) every driver in front of them. I mean, that's right. I don't want to beat you a little bit. I want to make you get out of the car and question whether you ever belonged here. So while he is an awesome kid, and I say kid just because he's so young, but I mean, he's he's a man. He's his own man, but... He's such a sweet kid and a thoughtful kid and, like, so smart. And I'm saying this of both, Pato and Colton, but Colton's the one in particular we're discussing here. Like, Brian Herda the herdas did an amazing job raising this kid. He's truly an exemplary human being. Um, I know that his dad always burned pretty brightly on the inside when it came to driving race cars, but there is something extra double quadruple within Colton that I don't know if I ever saw in Brian, like this kid has an inner rage that is focused through his driving and wanting to eat every driver in front of him. That is just brutal. That's why you see him as not the de facto, but the number one has been since he got to the full team I might have been outperforming most of them while he was with the satellite team. Um, so I just wonder. Thanks for letting me wander down this rabbit hole. Uh, I just wonder if that little reaction that I saw, and I'm, I know they talk and they're good and they're fun and play, like all that great stuff, you know, bros and IndyCar and bros and team Android, I get all that. I just wonder. I saw that little thing and I was like, I know that look. I know that kind of dismissive, like, oh, hey, man, cool. Uh, You know, I, I don't really worry about you anymore. I don't know if that was it, but, man, it sure looked like it. And it would absolutely fit, even though he's this little cherubic, angelic kid who loves to play the drums and is quirky and all the things where you go, yeah, those people aren't very threatening. And you go, nah, man, this dude wants to end you. Um Did I see all that in one little reaction uh, of how Rossi trying to again, dap up or whatever his his teammate uh, might've gone down? I don't know, but, and I don't know if either, I don't know if her if Colton would say yes or no right now, but I just, yeah. So there you go. Um, as for Rossi being disconnected, can't say, I don't know. I just don't know. Um, For the umpteenth time on the podcast, uh, there's a little bit of a glass half empty. A little bit. Let me stop that. Uh, there's a complete glass half empty, broken and shattered on the ground. Dark clouds follow me everywhere. Aspect to Rossi's persona, he often uses that to his benefit. Uh, you know, the the revenge tour that uh, I think my pal. Uh, Katie Kyle mentioned earlier in the year and man that was such a brilliant assessment by Katie um the revenge tour mindset of there's always someone to go out and reclaim whatever from um him being like if he could have someone play him in a movie and he'd need to be younger obviously um it'd be Liam Neeson right like Alexander Rossi every season is on some form of taken Neeson. I have a special set of skills type thing where he just goes and earmuffs a moment and just wrecks shit. Like there's just that. I'm out for revenge. It's full taken time. Liam come play me in a movie type deal and it works for him and it works for him except for when it doesn't. And when he's had a bad season, as Brian mentioned, and he looks snake bit and he chucks it in the wall in cold tires, it's not because he isn't just among the elite drivers. The, again, the guy's got more talent than it's, it's stupid how good he is. It's not that he's forgotten how to drive a car, or Jeremy Millis has forgotten how to engineer, or Rob Edwards has forgotten how to strategize again, no one's forgotten anything. But if your disposition is not always sunny to begin with and you embrace the dark clouds and try and use it as a fuel when things are going well to conquer those around you, but you've got darker clouds and darker and darker and it's almost pitch black because so many things have been going wrong, it's not hard for me to imagine, Brian, if I'm remotely right at all to begin with. Could be totally wrong, seriously. But if I could just imagine how there comes a point where you go, Sigh. I am worn down, I am not at my best, I am sick and tired of things, and that laser focus uh, uh, that he normally has, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, all you need is one little, mighty, minuscule millisecond loss of that. If you're feeling down, if your day's not going well, if whatever, all you need is a little bit of that and you can have an outcome like he did. That's the let's think about it a lot answer. The let's really not think about it much at all answer is maybe he just screwed up. Oops. Hey, overdid it, overshot it, over everything did, hit the wall, boom, let's move on. No big deal. Um, I mean, he finished, what, fourth the weekend before? Uh, Mid Ohio was super competitive, right? Top five, fifth, I think. Uh, so, you know, Nashville wasn't great for him, we know that, but wasn't necessarily his fault. Uh, but regardless, it's not been a great year. 12th for Alexander Rossi is nothing other than 11 additional positions of failure being away from P one. So again, I, the overthinking it part, I could see how a lot of stuff might be weighing on him. And trust me, how many races did willpower crash or lose because he let the, the un unhappiness or the misfortune weigh on him. Um, How many times that happened to a Graham Rahal, although he's really, truly overcome a lot of that here in the last couple of years. But he's not the first driver to have weight and baggage hold him back. And if none of those things have anything to do with it, he just screwed up. And we're going to Portland, and he could absolutely be on the pole and win. Um, So I hope things closer to that are what we get to discuss. Uh, where are we going next here? i got to see how many questions we have. All right. Uh, Jeremy Jacks. Hey, Marshall Pruitt. First time writing in. Well, Jeremy, I'm raising my hands. You can't see it because this is an audio-based show, so it's kind of dumb to mention something you can't see. But I'm raising my hands in victory because I love it when folks like you and Neil, whose last name I won't destroy yet again, and hopefully more send in questions for the first time, Uh, you say nothing but positive vibes for you and your wife. Thanks man. Vibes of the positive kind are well, well received. Says tire marbles played into the race Saturday as they tend to at this track. Rossi ended up in the wall. Other drivers had some scary moments. How exactly do the marbles form? Um, is the pavement only capable of holding a finite amount of rubber and therefore excessive rubber is scrubbed off by the tires and then sent up the track. That's the answer. Um, secondly is there anything in the rule book dictating when the track is cleaned like after rossi wrecked or is it at the discretion of the race directors uh, or steward Uh, i says this weekend was another great time in st louis as expected compliments to the bomberito group and the team at worldwide technologies raceway for putting on another great event (sighs) wasn't there wish i could have been there chris blair who runs the track that guy is a ball of awesomeness. Um, there's a lot of good folks. John, who looks after their uh, communications side, and just, yeah, Mr. Bomerito and his whole family, I mean, just truly, uh, they continue to be uh, part of the gold standard of entrance each year. Um, no rules saying when to clear the track, so that is certainly a uh, looks like we're going to be down for a couple of laps and we could sneak this in type deal. Uh, could have been done a little bit more often i'm sure that it could have would say that the the dynamic of does the track surface become say fully saturated with rubber that's worn off the tires and then because it can't hold anymore that's when marbles start getting sent up uh you know get get shed and thrown up that's happening the whole time uh before rubber gets worn into the track uh that's just a natural byproduct of our cat rocky's just jumped up he was just running around the house meowing like a fool hey buddy uh that's just a natural byproduct of forces and a soft ish material uh, that being the rubber so i had hoped to get this edited and published before the season started obviously i'm now hoping to get it done before it ends but there's a video that i i want would lo- love for y'all to see once i get it done i gotta figure out how to fully edit it because it's from one two three four different camera views and i'm still like a baby fawn trying to learn how to walk uh, when it comes to editing in Adobe Premiere. So yeah, it, it's more operator limitations than, uh, anything else, but did four different camera angles with Elio Castroneves, I think from February, maybe was it early March? I forget, uh, at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca during a test there. Um, it was meant to be with Roman's car, but, uh, the Dale Coin team kind of, uh, foobarred that one. So ended up being with Elio and, of the four angles, two of them, Jeremy, uh, were, or are, were, I don't even know what tents to use, uh, attached to the rear wing end plates, uh, looking at the rear tires. <coughs> and what is fascinating as I take <coughs> another sip and Rocky jumps up behind me and starts clawing the chair and sniffing my hair. All right, you can tell we're getting to the end of the episode. The cats are revolting. Uh, Jeremy, what was cool about this was with where the GoPros were placed on the rear wings. You are living with the rear tires from the moment Elio pulls out uh, the pits and say is on used rubber that has a bunch of pickup on it, and for his entire run. And I want to edit this footage into a few different clips. One of them that I want to edit shows exactly what you're talking about. Stuff on the tires. Now, that's an easier thing to watch and see it come off. But even when the tires are clean and clear, seeing the evolution in 4K 60 or 30 frames per second uh, HD, that was just a fascinating dance because you see Elio go through a high-speed left-hand corner you see the forces applied, you see those tires pushing against the track, and you see those forces manifest in rubber start to migrate across the surface of the tire and move to either the inner edge or the outer edge of the tire. And you see the little bits of what we call marbles Uh, start to form and break off and get shed because the tires are spinning at a million miles an hour and just watch this dance uh, of the rubber moving from left to right depending on the corner and again if it's a really you know slow corner or one where they just don't spend much time in you don't necessarily get to see a lot of movement but in the ones where they start turning early and are going pretty quickly throughout and Again, long-duration corner and one at higher speeds where the forces are high throughout the entire cornering event. Therefore, those high forces causing rubber to move across the surface and migrate, like that to me is fascinating. Just fascinating. So, uh, again, unfortunately, on top of raising my hands in victory since this is the first time you've written in, and unfortunately having mentioned a bunch of video-based things that I've never published because I haven't gotten it done yet because I still need to hopefully I can get that done here before too long hopefully before Laguna Seca uh for us to see just cuz the dance of the uh the marbles the marble dance oh crazy crazy fun stuff to watch uh let's see John Hollinger how you doing John says mp townsend bell blamed the jones and ray hall crash on jones right rear tire climbing up on graham ray hall's underwing and that if the underwing didn't stick out like that they probably would have just bumped and continued says i've always thought it was weird how much the current underwing protrudes out from under the side pods i don't recall any past chassis even old cart and irl cars that did that is there a specific reason or benefit that the underwing and side pods are that way and should the side pods on the new car be designed to cover uh, that area to prevent a repeat? It says it seems like that if it happened at Gateway, it could happen anywhere, and that would be a catastrophic thing at a place like Indy. Great questions, John. I'm going to try and answer them as quickly as I can. There have been no major changes to the underwing in recent years. There have been some changes, don't get me wrong, but it, since we're just talking about the width and exposure like it's the same thing we've it's been that way the whole time there were some changes in 2018 where they took away what some teams called the sponsor blocker it was that little shark fin type thing at the leading edge on both sides of uh, of the floor that was meant to prevent uh, interlocking of wheels and tires um, getting in behind the front tires but there's n- Never been anything to block all the way back to the rear tire. Uh, what changed is the design that had the side pods come out much wider, um, alter to the new, more tightly wasted side pods that come with the 2018 UAK-18 bodywork. So, no, it's one of those little pedantic things, but uh, the floor, underwing, Call it whatever you want. That hasn't changed in terms of width. What has changed is the profile, the bodywork sitting on top of it, and in this case, uh, especially towards the bottom of the side pods, those taper inwards considerably and taper backwards. Uh, referred to for many years as the Coke bottle wasted design. So if you were to look at the Indy car from the top uh, with the front wings and the front of the car at the bottom and the rear wing and the rear of the car, obviously at the top, you would look towards the back and see that like a Coke bottle, the side pods taper in heavily and continue into a very narrow way. Well, that was done to a much greater degree with this UAK-18. So again, by comparison, there's more floor for someone to drive over than there has been in the past. Do I think that changes need to happen because of what happened at Gateway and the possibility? I absolutely do not. Um, This is where the two cars happen to make original contact, but I just don't see this as something that requires alteration of bodywork in general design currently or with the new car. Uh, I know that's what Townsend blamed, but... The reason that this happened was the two cars coming together as they did. Had one car been farther up or farther behind than the other, we could have had wheel to wheel, and it really would have been bad. So this, of Ed's right rear tire kind of getting up onto the underwing a little bit um, and, and hitting Graham's side pod and that going down, eh, I mean, I didn't see that as anything that requires follow-up action. I could be totally wrong and ignorant. Uh, that's always <laughs> always something to remember, dear listeners. But, eh, uh, I mean, Townie spotted it well as to what happened. I mean, that is how it went down. But, eh, um, if this is something that happened twice a year, I'd say, let's think about it. To my knowledge, this has happened once this year. I can't remember it happening the year before. Can't remember it happening the year before that. So from a numbers standpoint, it doesn't jump out, John, as problem action required. Uh, Hrisha Despond, how you doing, buddy? Says, can you provide any more detail or context on Colton Herder's half-shaft failure? I can, because I reached out. I called him, and it went to voicemail on the first ring, so his phone was turned off or he was flying or something. So I texted his dad. His dad knows stuff. Uh, and J.J. Gertler, you also have a question here. Um, so continuing with Hrishis, he says his on-air explanation was unclear. He said he thought it mileage out, but the NBC crew thought he may have broken it, leaving the pit stop. Um, yes. So, uh, full clarity. Uh, I understand I've been told it had nothing to do with mileage or anything else. I think he mentioned that in frustration during the broadcast, like his first thing being that and then caught himself, was like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I I just opened up a can. Let me close that can and say, this is a, absolutely nothing that would ever happen, and everything's the best. And they're like, I think it's just a little bit of frustration and venting there. Uh, clarity on this is this. On the lap that he pitted, he pitted because he felt something go wrong with the rear drive on the car. And so... Nothing during the pit stop broke anything. There's nothing related to the pit stop, a tire spin, a wheel spinning or anything else in it being dropped being the cause of the problem. The outer drive flange, so the half shaft on both sides of the car, connect the transmission to the uprights to the outer drive flange, that drive flange. Uh, is what the wheels are bolted to. That's what takes the power coming from the motor, going out to the transmission, uh, and being transmitted out to the tires and wheels. That's what you have. You have inner drive flange, outer drive flange, and according to our man B. Herta, the outer drive flange broke. Uh, I believe it was, I forget whether it was a right rear or left rear, I apologize, but said it. they've never seen it. Uh, There was no reason to expect it to happen and caught them totally by surprise. Uh, Colton felt it, uh, felt the loss of drive, and pitted right away, and we saw what happened from there. Uh, JJ Gertler, let's see, says, I'm pretty old, and I can't remember a race where two cars broke drive shafts, while on track. Also mentioning our man Felix Rosenquist, who uh, it appears had the same. He says uh, dropping them in pit lane maybe, but not while circulating. Uh, he can recall them. He says uh, Antonio Saraval broke one in the lights race. Gateway's pretty flat. Would there be a reason to run a half shaft at an odd angle or in some other configuration that would cause unusual stress at this track? Awesome question, JJ. I don't know. I mean, again, I, I love to be the guy who can answer everything, but I can't i don't know it is strange it is certainly strange knowing that we're talking about an andretti autosport car with a honda a Arrow McLaren sp with a chevy two totally different teams with different setups and you name it uh there's nothing where you could say oh they might be borrowing their setup they might have a chassis setup setting that could put something at an odd angle like yeah Uh, i'm always looking for is there a is there randomness or is there a trend? You could certainly say there's a trend here. I just can't find it between the two IndyCar teams in question, and I couldn't tell you the least about what happened to uh, young Mr. Cereval. Uh All right, we are about to uh, wind her down here um, with a couple of quick-fire questions and answers. Uh, ben Gordon uh, says... Going to say this, knowing it probably won't be popular, but is any car giving any consideration to a free pass rule? Maybe this is hailing back to uh, what started with willpower uh, at the Indy Road Course at NASCAR. Let's uh, one go. F one, lets all lap cars go under a caution. It says uh, Romain has had a top five sp- at top five speed, but stuck a lap down because of the caution. That helped the three car and the fourteen car and the thirty. Says personally, I would have liked to have watched them battle. Th- uh, through against all these guys and see what they could do. Unlike Bourdais and Sato and Hunter, etc., Groschon was able to stick with the top four the rest of the race. Don't know. Um, I'm going to cut and paste your question here, Ben. I mean, the, the would they consider? Of course, IndyCar is always open to considering. Uh, I'm going to drop this here in my J. Fry list of questions, which is up to. Let me count uh 15 we'll see how many we get through tomorrow um all right where are we going here to wind down the show jerry sooth how you doing buddy says rossi Newgarden are still fairly young If we combine them with vk award polo and Herta, do we have the makings of one of the potentially most talented and competitive eras in recent memory we absolutely do uh no question about that at all so I'm just thinking back to my youth where there were brand new drivers by the name Indycar drivers by the name of Michael Andretti. I mean I think I would have been like 12 or 13, but whatever. Al Unser Jr., who else? And some of these guys might not have been total spring chickens, but Danny Sullivan came along. Uh who else were, you know, Paul Tracy came along in what 91 I think. Um There have been some eras where there were like some young stars and talents that were holy cow amazing. I can't really though think of a bigger or better roster as Rocky is back jumping up. He's biting me now and clawing the back of the chair. What are you doing, dude? Um, I think you're onto something here, Jer. I really do. Again, there's been a lot of young talent. Don't get me wrong. Whether it's Frankiti showing up, Castro Neves, DeFerrin was already like 60 years old when he got the IndyCar. But, hey, anyways, uh, Vassar, still youngish. Zanardi, you know, been around the world a couple times, been in F1, been here, been there before he got here. But, you know, there have been some youngish talents, the Greg Moores and such, where you go, wow, right? run through more the carpentiers and you know uh there's been some serious young talent that's the obvious part duh Pruitt the numbers the sheer numbers of like whoa <laughs> wow and then you think about who's coming right hey Kyle Kirkwood welcome to IndyCar hey Oliver Askew can we get you back because we think you've got a lot more to show uh hey Linus Lundqvist man I hope you get here uh, did I mention Malukas? I think I did. If I didn't, I apologize. Kirkwood, Malukas. I still, as I'll keep saying, I think our, our man Devlin DeFrancesco could use another year in lights, but I, everything I know is he's coming next year. It's A lot of talent. There's more Stingray Rob. Um, hoping he gets another year to develop some more in Indy Lights. Uh, what else? Alex Peroni. I don't know if he's fully ready for IndyCar right now, but uh, that kid seems like he's chock full of something special. Uh, Daniel Frost, I think he's got, again, if he can spend another year, I think he's going to be a um, uh, uh, quality addition. Uh, again, I can run down some more names, but I think we're going to be adding some to this, Jerry, and that's the cool part. I think we're going to add two to three uh, next year and or the year after where you go, All right, this is getting out of hand. (laughs) Can any of you buy a beer, first of all, or rent a car? I know some of them can, but I'm just saying, like, the we-need-to-card-you-for-everything squad, that's what IndyCar is going to be here soon uh, at the sharp end of the grid, and I think that's phenomenal. Going to throw this out, chuck it out. Crazy concept. Maybe that's something IndyCar could think to promote in the future. What do you crazy concept, right? Hi, we have some of the greatest, youngest talent in any sport anywhere. Our young athletes are dominant and or almost dominating and taking over. And hey, it's almost like I've said this 10 times on the show before, but we still have some old champions who don't want to let that happen. I don't know. What do you think? Maybe promote that? No, defy everything. What the hell does that mean? We need to have an episode. The end of the, se- after the season's over, I need y'all to tell me what the hell defy everything is supposed to mean. Cause, uh, I don't know. All right. Sorry. Off my little uh, tangent here. Uh, let's see. Where do we go next? Uh, Amjad, uh, Amjad Mazarek. I believe you're a first time questioner. Amjad. Otherwise, uh, if not, I apologize. He says, assuming Romain Groschand takes Ryan Hunter-Rey's number 28 entry. Who's a favorite for the 29 car between Kyle Kirkwood and Devlin DeFrancesco? It says, obviously, Kyle Kirkwood has shown more talent and has far better results, but DeFrancesco has the Steinbrenner money backing him. Is there anywhere else Kirkwood is rumored to go? Um, great stuff. Hoping to include some of this in a silly season update. Uh, if it's not Romain in the twenty-eight. I think we might have your answer here. Uh, everything I understand is that Devlin is headed to the 29. To the point of, if he isn't, I'll be shocked. If by chance, <clears throat> and I'm sorry, I don't know oh, why my voice keeps breaking. Puberty, I tell you what, it's coming later yet, yet again. My puberty is flaring up, y'all. I apologize. If there's no Roman Groschand in the 28 and Ryan Honore is not headed back, Uh, I mentioned two months ago, changes are coming to the 28, 29. I know that Ryan recently in an interview with our great man, Robin Miller, said, hey, you know, it's time for a change. You know, again, just telling you what I've told you on the show many times and put in print. 28 car will not have Ryan Hunter Ray in it. 29 car will not have James Hinchcliffe in it. Um, This is totally separate from uh, Amjad's question. I'll get back to in just a sec. If you love either driver, if you are fans of either driver, even if you have tepid interest in either driver and you plan on attending Portland Laguna Seca or long beach, or just want to say things on social media, just be aware. This might be the last three IndyCar races for the two of them period. If that's not the case, it might be the last full-time appearances for them in their careers. Um, would I expect one or both to be at the Indy 500? Of course. Am I aware of one or more opportunities for at least one of those drivers? Uh, yes. Um, am I aware again, aware of a lot of things, got to put some of it in print, can't put all of it, usual routine. But just saying, for those of you who have some love for RHR or the mayor of Hinchtown, don't wait to tell them. And if you're not sure if you want to come out to the track or not, and I, who knows if you live out here on the West Coast or want to fly, just share it. Uh, they won't be back in their current cars. There's no guarantee they're going to be in other cars. If you want to see them, you want to take photos, want to get a selfie, want to say thank you, want to do anything, um, don't wait. So coming back to this, I know, Amjad, for sure that the Andretti team really, really, really wants Kyle Kirkwood to be in something that they do. If, by chance, things don't work out with Romain, Um, I would wonder where that moves Kyle, uh, in terms of interest in getting him in a car. So we know that they're talking to other drivers. We know that funding is certainly a thing, uh, that is needed for at least one of those two. Not sure exactly how much, but I keep hearing, you know, there's some seven figures worth of holes we need to fill. I'm unaware of Kyle sitting on, But hey, winning an Indy Lights Championship and maybe being able to bring a little bit more with him from sponsors or whomever, like could that get the deal done? Uh, Potentially. So if not there, I don't know where else Kyle would go. And I've mentioned, I've written that uh, he's known to have had conversations with Penske. So I put my last Silly Season update and... This is falling into the, I can't always say as strongly certain things as I would like to, but I'll, if I mention it and I write it, there's a reason for it. There's never a reason, or there's never a reason lacking for something that I write. The part where I mentioned of, Hey, don't be totally sh- surprised if Penske goes down to three cars next year. Uh, I didn't write that out of the blue or out of just throwing stuff and seeing if it sticks. So I wouldn't see where Kyle fits within the Penske organization in an IndyCar effort. Truly would love nothing more than to be surprised and proven wrong because that kid, I think, is really special. Uh, but yeah, if it's not Andretti, I'm struggling to find a place where he lands uh, that we would say is like a front-running-ish type of opportunity. If Groschand does land in the 28, is a Dale Coyne willing to look at him? I don't know. Uh, I I would hope, uh, knowing that Kyle indeed has some experience on the Vassar Sullivan side with their uh, their IMSA, their Lexus RCF GT3 program. Just saying. again, I know that entry hasn't been a front runner, but is there something there to consider? Uh, Possibly. Here's what I know. If Kirkwood wins the championship or finishes second or finishes third, whatever it is, there's no need for that kid to go back to Indy Lights. He's he's learned, he's ready, he's right. Not saying he's going to be winning IndyCar races in his rookie season, who knows, but just saying there's nothing left for the kid to get out of Indy Lights right now. So if he's not in IndyCar next year, I'm going to be pissed because there will be something seriously wrong with the world. So, uh, do I expect David Malukas to be there? Yes, without a doubt. So, I'm not, again, not even focusing on David. I think that's pretty much a conclusion. Uh, Done deal. Uh, Devlin, same thing. Uh, Linus, I don't know. I'm not sure if he's going to have the money to get there, but I hope someone seriously looks at him. Uh, Kirkwood, though, again, with a championship, boy, it sure is easy to make something happen without it. One way or the other, though, the kid has talent that deserves a quality ride. So that's what I can share for you with that, uh, Amjad. And thanks for sending that in, I believe, for the first time. Uh, Here's a question that I love, I love, I love. And I didn't know that it was coming from you, Trip. But I'll just share a little bit of inside baseball here. Then we're going to get to the last question. Uh, Trip Hazard says, What do you make of that recent report on Michael Andretti being keen on running, uh, running, Uh, formula one team and michael's comments about it It says sounded like he downplayed the notion after the initial report well as the guy who wrote the initial report uh, and my racer colleague chris medland helped with that as well but after hearing about it from multiple sources impeccable sources having a couple of those sources say yeah this has been kind of an open secret um called michael gave a you know exact quote that i expected not there looking into it you know always up for it would like to do it but we're not there yet i knew all those things to be true so when he said those words back to me in the form of a quote wasn't a surprise and the only thing i didn't include in the story which i wouldn't or couldn't and it would be deleted if i tried but if i could the only thing i would have put in would have been a final line saying And as soon as other people ask Michael about this for stories of their own, Michael will massively downplay it and paint things in a very improbable light. That's the only thing I didn't include, because they wouldn't include it, because you shouldn't. But while writing the story, hell, before I actually spoke with Michael, I had most of the story wrote, just kind of, knew what was going on, and spoke with him and bolted in the quotes. Um, Before I called Michael, it's like you do this long enough trip and you know, like, okay, uh, stylistically you understand certain people and how they operate. And none of what I'm saying is negative or bad about Michael. It's just how he does things. Before speaking with Michael, with the story more or less done, just needing his quotes, uh, before I even filed it, I'm like, yep. So file the story, it'll go up. Uh, Hey, it's an interesting thing. It's real. I know it's real. This isn't, uh, oh, there's once over dinner three months ago, I floated the idea. And Pruitt somehow got wind and wrote a story about something that is just so far from reality of ever happening. But he's searching for clicks and stretched this nothingness into a story. Like, no. No question. And I'm talking from very recent conversations that I'm aware of that, yes, this is something we're actively pursuing. Uh, There's a name of someone else that I understand that he's pursuing this with that I pulled out of the story Uh, and although I've heard heard that from one source that, again, I would say is impeccable, but I didn't hear from two and mentioned it to Michael and he didn't bite, didn't mention it, mentioned it to someone else who I thought would know and they didn't bite, didn't acknowledge the other person, so I pulled that person's name out, but Even so, pretty solidly understand who is involved here. It's a real thing, real desire, real effort. Now, whether it goes anywhere or not, can't tell you, right? I mean, Michael's tried to put together a NASCAR team, was going to have something with Dodge, and, you know, he's always trying to do things to better himself, better the team. All these things are great and smart and exactly what he should be doing. So, again, nothing of what I'm saying is critical of Michael. It's like, hey, Totally get it. But he's also the guy where, unless he is telling you, yes, we're doing it, and this is when we're doing it, anything less than that on a high-profile thing like this with Michael stylistically over the years is going to lead to a dismissive response when asked about it by others. So fully expected it before the story was filed. Haven't seen the other stuff so much that you've mentioned, but again, it's exactly what Michael would do. And yeah, right now, this is a nothing burger. I wouldn't expect anything less. That perfectly fits. So thumbs up um, as I would expect. Good job. I'm doing the barat double thumbs up right now with a big grinny smile. But again, this is audio, so you can't see it. I should really stop doing that. All right, we're going to close the show with our man, Ryan Terpstra. I'd like to propose this question to be put at the close of the show. He's referring to the 24 hours of Le Mans last weekend, by the way, broadcast in America, in North America, I believe, I think, Canada as well on motor trend. Now I know there's a motor trend app where you can get the WEC feed. That's my friend and co-pilot on the weekend sports cars, Graham Goodwin, Alan McNish, Martin Haven, like the highest of high quality available through the motor trend app. What he's Ryan's referring to here is not through the app, but through the Motor Trend cable channel, which is what I get and I guess some others get. And we get Eurosport. And it is the worst commentary of any racing series, professional racing series, every year. I hate watch it with a passion. This year is a little bit different. Uh, race car driver Charlie Martin was there. Uh, and my old pal David Brabham was there, so they added some quality for sure that's been lacking, but still the, the rest of it from the, the misogyny to the inaccuracies to the just stupidity, like it, just the best. So anyways, a little bit of context. Uh, Ryan says, if Eurosport were to broadcast Indy 500, what types of things would they screw up? For hashtag me personally, I think the first time someone makes a pit stop and they change tires... At the same time as they refuel the car, they might be confused and ask why it isn't a penalty. Yeah, so I I hope some of you watched the 24 hours of Le Mans last weekend using the the Motor Trend cable channels uh, commentary feed. How's this? One of the old codgers, while referring to IndyCar, called it Champ Car, right? Uh, That's always a blast where you, you... have someone reveal to you how much they do or don't know about what they're talking about where you go. So champ car last existed for one race in 2008. Really? The last season was 2007. So for 13 ish years, we'll just say more than a decade, this entity known as champ car hasn't existed. And yet As we clearly understand, you fail to grasp any modern relevance to what you're talking about. So, yeah, we'll call this thing champ car. Just little insights. Um, From failing to understand the lead in the LMP2 class changed on the final lap to calling the wrong corners constantly. Uh, Someone told me, and again, it's 24 hours, I wasn't able to see all of it that they confirmed McLaren will be doing uh, LMDH. They'll be entering LMDH, which is amazing because I spoke with Zach Brown, McLaren racing boss, now head and leader of the Aero McLaren SP team and whatnot. I spoke to Matt Le Mans about this exact thing and have great on-the-record quotes that I'll publish in a story that are no different than others that he said, where he's like, yeah, no, we're not doing it yet. We'd like to, but we don't even have an engine that we could use. So yeah, uh, hard to confirm when you don't even have a motor for the thing. So anyways, um, tragedy, but hilarious tragedy. Like if you're like me and you love bad movies and I don't mean ones that are truly bad, like it's just, so low quality that there's nothing amusing or funny about it. But like, oh, you tried to do something big or serious and it was an epic failure. Like one of those movies, um, like Mac and Me, for example, um, that's what Eurosports Le Mans coverage is like to me. So Ryan asking about this and what kind of things they'd mess up at the Indy 500 Uh, Yeah, I mean, first of all, they'd probably refer to it as a 500-kilometer race. Like, that, I think, would just be uh, absolutely normal. Um, Of course, they'd refer to what we call gasoline, uh, methanol, ethanol, some of the familiar terms for the fuel. Guarantee you they'd refer to it as petrol throughout the race. Uh, What else would they do? Uh, You would hear nonstop references to background items with British drivers or European drivers and an almost comical lack of understanding of the American drivers. That's another great thing. When you watch this all British uh broadcast crew and I realize Brabs is Australian, but he's spent a lot of his life um in the UK. But we're gonna exclude him and Charlie from this as well. If we're just talking about the other talking heads. Uh all British, and if you want to know something about any of the drivers in the 24 hours of Le Mans and any kind of background history stuff, boy, they got you covered if they're uh, from the UK. Anywhere else, if they aren't reading it off of a something that's been prepared for them, there's nothing there. Uh, what else? Going to people who aren't actually on that broadcast segment, I think that would be a thing. So we'd have them calling down to the pits who people just – who just aren't there, like, that would be a fantastic thing. Uh, What else? I could see them getting beaten up by the IndyCar radio crew. Just because I think that if they were anywhere close to the majority of the IndyCar radio crew, I think the fine folks at IndyCar radio would be so angry at the dumb-osity coming out of their mouths at Eurosport that they, just for the sake of preserving IndyCar and stopping mass confusion uh, throughout the world outside the U.S., uh, for those listening to the Eurosport broadcast, assuming we take the same from the Lamont broadcast, I think they would actually be doing the world a favor by just knocking all of them out and then taping their mouths shut in case they came to and felt the need to speak into microphones again. So, yeah, uh, uh, probably trying... Think of some more, I imagine, uh, at some other point in time, Ryan. I love the question. I hope some of you were able to hate watch the 24 Hours of Le Mans on the Motor Trend cable channel. And just say thank you that we have fine people at NBC and IndyCar Radio and anyone else I might be forgetting that presents our races in whatever form that... They actually know what they're talking about, care what they're talking about, and aren't just spewing hot garbage the entire time. Well, speaking of, it's time for me to finish spewing my hot garbage. So I am Marshall Pruitt. This is the Marshall Pruitt Podcast brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com. I think Sebastian Bourdais is going to be our guest on Wednesday. If not, uh, I'll see if Mike holds available. It seems like one of those two would have some fun and entertaining things to say and I just said entertaining instead of entertaining but that's okay maybe that's entertaining I'll speak to you here in a couple days